Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths about salvation. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He did not stutter. It's finished. This is the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 2, I am crucified with Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1 here, he speaks Christ crucified. The cross, have you believed the gospel? And God holds you responsible for the gospel. Not for anything else but the gospel. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. As technology increases, more and more things become obsolete. A state-of-the-art computer built 10 years ago would be useless in today's world, but there are some things created from the very beginning of time that were meant to stand the test of time, and not the least of those things is the gospel. Today, Pastor Xavier shares what happens when man tries to improve on that which is already perfect. Let's join him for today's lesson, The Galatians Played the Fools. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. The message is entitled, The Galatians Played the Fools. Paul, having dealt with the personal section of his letter, he now moves on to the doctrinal section of the epistle in chapters 3 and 4. Here in chapter 3, he rebukes the Galatians, showing their folly of having believed the lies of those who had perverted the gospel of Christ. And he does this by arguing from their own faith experience. Paul rebukes the Galatians for three things. Let me read you the text. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Paul rebukes the Galatians for three things. First of all, Paul rebukes them because they had believed the gospel. Verse 1. Secondly, Paul rebukes them because they had received the Holy Spirit. Verse 2 through 5. And then thirdly, Paul rebukes them because they had contradicted Scripture. Verses 6 through 9. Let's begin with the first. Paul rebukes them because they had believed the gospel. Notice first, the rebuke was due to the fact that the Galatians had not exercised discernment of heart or mind. The severity of his expression is clear. O foolish Galatians, the New English translation says, you stupid Galatians. The J.B. Phillips translation translates it, Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. <laughs> we can all identify as parents with our children, and you can identify with your parents when you were a child. 
They say, why, why did you do such a stupid thing? It's a shock to awaken you to your foolishness based on what you've known and have possessed. The Apostle Paul calls them foolish, referring to one who can think but fails to think. Now, some would say, well, isn't Paul disobeying Jesus because Jesus says, call no man a fool? Well, that's a different word. The word Jesus uses, raka, worthless, Matthew 5.22. This one, stupid, we can use. But it's based on their ability to possess and to know but fail to discern. Paul is not being derogatory to this racial group. They had set aside the grace of God, saying Jesus died needlessly. You say, where does it say that? Look at chapter 2, verse 21. That's a transition from verse 16 on down to the justification he's going to talk about. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. What's he saying? You Galatians, by doing what you're doing, embracing what you're embracing, Believing what you're believing, you are saying that Christ died in vain. Heavy. The motive behind Paul's words is love for them, not self-righteousness. He was chastising his children as a loving father full of emotion. Look at chapter 4, verse 11. He says, I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Does that sound like a hateful father? Look at verse 15, same chapter. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. In other words, their encounter was a loving relationship. They believe Paul's eye disease is involved here and that they felt so bad for him. There's love reciprocation here. He says, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but not for good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in good things always. And not only when I'm present with you. So in other words, I'm not trying to be the head honcho. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I would like to be present with you and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Here's a loving father. He could see the deceptiveness clearly of the perversion of the gospel, as he stated in chapter 1, verse 7. You as a parent, your parents towards you, they could see clearly the deception of the people you hung out with your friends. And they warned you and me, and they said, don't hang out with him. Why? Why do we do that as parents? Why did our parents do it? Because they've been around the block a couple of times. They've lived a little longer. They've lived through the stupid state. <laughs> it's that simple. Notice, secondly, the outcome. The outcome of the bewitchment was that they should not obey the truth of the gospel. This is not a light matter. The word bewitch was used of a popular superstition of the evil eye to fascinate and to put a spell upon people. This is the word that he uses. This is the only time it's used in the New Testament. No, they were enchanted, if you will. He's kind of using that. He's not saying Christians can be possessed. He's not saying they're demonized. He is saying, you have been fascinated. We say that when somebody is overtaken by something and it doesn't make sense in relation to what they're doing. We say, snap out of it. That's literally what he's saying here. The apostle Paul asked them, who has bewitched you? Well, they were Judaizers who had perverted the gospel of Christ, chapter 1, verse 7. 
They were those who were trusting in works of the law to be justified before God. Chapter 2, verse 16 told us. They were those who were desired to bring the Gentiles under the ceremonial law. Chapter 4, verse 9 through 11 tells us that. They were leaven among wheat. Chapter 5, verse 7 through 9 tells us that. They were those who would be held responsible for their deceptiveness. Chapter 5, verse 10 tells us that. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, and he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. Whoa. God does not look lightly upon people who deceive people regarding the gospel. He is very serious about it. Notice thirdly in verse 1 still. The reason for the rebuke was that Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed before their eyes as crucified. Don't miss that. The word portrayed is used of a public proclamation like a placard that stood in the public. The word is used also of a father who would pose a proclamation that he would no longer be responsible for the deaths of his sons. That's good, huh? It would be a public proclamation. So if the son got in debt, he was no longer responsible. The son was responsible. That would be pretty good for today. <laughs> this is the same word. The same word is used in Romans this way. Whatever things were written, clearly hung as a billboard. Talking about the scriptures. They're for our learning, for our admonition. You and I are without excuse. You possess a Bible, you're without excuse. It's like a big billboard. Romans 15, 4. The clear visual understanding was that of Jesus Christ having been what? Crucified. Which is the perfect participle here, communicating the idea of past facts with lasting effects, once and for all. It's done. This was their privilege. Privilege always brings responsibility. It's a very simple principle. The context is focusing upon the efficiency of the sacrifice. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He did not stutter. It's finished. This is the heart of the gospel and what distinguishes Jews from Christians. The Jews do not accept Christ crucified. The Christians did. Now, you may be a Jew who believes Christ crucified. You may be a Gentile, but that's what distinguishes the Jew from the Gentile in that day he was writing. Christ crucified. It's the heart of the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 2, I am crucified with Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1 here, he speaks Christ crucified. The cross. The story has been told of a woman who had acquired wealth and social prominence and decided to have a book written about her genealogy. The well-known author she engaged for the assignment discovered that one of her grandfathers was a murderer who had been electrocuted in Sing Sing. When uh, he said this would have to be included in the book, the woman pleaded that he would find a way of saying it in which the truth would be hid. The man pondered. When the book appeared, the incident read as follows. One of her grandfathers occupied the chair of applied electricity in one of America's best-known institutions. He was very much attached to his position and literally died in the harness. <laughs> How easy it is to twist the truth into believable lies. And such is the case with the gospel. The greater accountability and responsibility is based on the fact that we have received what? The greater light. 
Jesus Christ. To those who much is given, much is required. Luke 12, 48. Always, always the case. And so Paul rebuked them because they had what? Believed the gospel. Have you believed the gospel? Then God holds you responsible for the gospel. Not for anything else, but the gospel. Now notice secondly. Paul rebuked them because they had received the Holy Spirit. Verse 2 through 4. First of all, verse 2. Paul's first question is whether they had received the Holy Spirit by the works of the law, or what is it again? The hearing of faith. Here's the contrast. Works, faith, works, faith. Which way did you receive the Spirit? Every one of these questions is rhetorical. They have an obvious answer. The law was never given to the Gentiles unless they proselyted into the Jewish faith. You know that. The law promised no one, nor everyone, the indwelling of the Spirit in the Old Testament. It was only given the chosen people for a set time for set purposes. Kings, prophets, Moses, Aholiab, Joshua, Daniel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Habakkuk, Hosea, Malachi. But not everybody. Their experience of faith gave witness to the hearing of faith through the gospel resulting in what? The illumination of the Holy Spirit of God to understand the gospel message. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, you may believe in God, but devils believe also. They'll never be in heaven. I'm not asking if you're a Catholic. I'm not asking if you're a Presbyterian. I'm not asking if you're a Calvary Chapelist. I'm asking you if you've ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you have not, then God has brought you here to hear this gospel. And as he's brought you to hear this gospel, he's also giving you the ability to understand the gospel. And at the end of this message, you're going to have a choice to make, to accept Christ or to reject his message. One of the two. But you will have the ability to make the decision. And you'll have no excuse. Because he's not the author of confusion. Their experience of faith was superior to the old economy. We already talked about it in 2 Corinthians 3, remember? It was administration of death. This was administration of life in the age of grace. The one was a letter. The other one was a spirit. The one was death. The other is life. The one inferior, the other one superior. Why? Because of the sinfulness of man's flesh. Paul says, I find no good thing in me in Romans 7. Nothing wrong with the law. The law is good, holy, and just. The problem is me. So what the law could not do, because of the weakness of sinful flesh, God sent for the Son, made of a woman, under the law, in the likeness of sinful flesh, to condemn sin. Law is good. I'm bad. Now, we all get a ticket once in a while. We just think that it's been the most, the biggest injustice in the world. Listen, when you and I get a ticket by a policeman, we deserve a hundred. So take it gracefully and tell him, thank you. <laughs> You're a lawbreaker and so am I. Now notice secondly in verse 3. Paul's second question is, if faith is superior to law, are you so foolish, lacking in the power of perception that having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? The contrast is obvious. They began by hearing the gospel. But now, they were attempting to end with what? The perversion of a gospel. They had begun in the spirit by faith in Christ, and now they were continuing what? 
trusting works. They were believing they could perfect in the flesh based on natural abilities of man what they had begun in the Spirit of God. You cannot. You will fail every time. God begins it. He has to continue it. He has to finish it. The question is rhetorical having an obvious answer. What is the answer to this? No. No. You cannot. And how many people have started in the spirit and moved on into the area of the flesh thinking that they can finish it, they can do it. Now they've moved into work. Well, you know, I do this, and I know this guy, and I know that guy, and I've been used here, and I've gone to this school, and I've gone to that. So what? That means nothing. One cannot finish in the flesh what the spirit has begun. The word perfect means mature, the intended goal, completion. It's an insult to the cross. It's an insult to the work of Christ. It's like you saying, well, you know, I appreciate your love and your generosity, Lord, but, you know, these guys need it, but I don't. That sounds kind of nasty that way, doesn't it? But that's exactly what we're saying. Notice thirdly in verse 4. Paul's third question is, have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed they were in vain? Now, the word suffer is translated by some to mean just simply experience. Have you experienced all that you experienced in vain? But of the 42 times that it's found in the New Testament, the word is translated suffer, suffering, suffered. And it's always in the negative, to be vexed. Only one time it's translated passion in Acts 1-3, speaking about the passion after the Lord's resurrection and the passion of his death. Paul is saying, have you suffered so much and now you're willing to give it up? Remember that Paul went on his first missionary journey in the area of Galatia. And what was the message he told him at Acts 14, 2 through 6 and 19 and 22? You must enter the kingdom of God through much tribulation. Now, I don't know what they suffer, but apparently they suffer something. But we as parents can identify because how often have we told our children as they've been growing up or they have grown up, how many times did they start something and then they wanted to quit and say, come on, hang in there, you've got two weeks, that's all. And what do we say? Don't be a quitter. This is what Paul is saying. They had suffered. And Paul is saying, have you suffered in vain? Are you willing to give it up so easily now? Was it in vain? course not. Notice fourthly in verse 5, Paul's fourth question is from a concluding statement. The God who supplied the Holy Spirit to them and equally worked miracles among them, did he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Paul returns now rich to his original question in verse 2, which was what? This one only thing I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? His original question. He comes back to it right here. The answer again is obvious. What is it? By the hearing of faith. By the hearing of faith. Prior to hearing the gospel, prior to receiving the faith to receive the gospel, they did not experience none of these things. Any of you ever experienced walking in righteousness before you came to Christ? Walking in the Spirit? 
knowing exactly what God had done for you? Of course not. It's a revelation of God through His Word by His Holy Spirit. It's a unique experience to those who are sons of God, those who are born again. The word supplied appears five times in the New Testament, and it means abundantly and bountifully. And the word is in the present participle referring to an ongoing present experience. Once you have entered the realm of the Spirit, God is there to supply the need and to minister unto you and myself. But am I going to allow Him? Am I going to be walking in the Spirit? Am I going to be open to His work in my life? I have to make that decision. The root word means a generous expense at one's own cost. And it is used of one who paid the training and performance of a chorus in those days. God is the one at His own expense who has supplied it. Not our own works, not because we're so good. Anybody here believe they were born again and God let them in heaven because they were so righteous? I don't think so. We all stand on equal ground, the grace of God. The term also is found in a marriage documents for the husband's support for the wife. That's good. <laughs> See, we're the bride. And he's the one who supplies everything. Now, notice that Paul is not just limiting the works of these miracles to external works that defy natural laws, but to those in their own personal lives. He is specific. Here's the phrase, among you, among you, in the midst of the body life and in their own personal lives. They had received the Holy Spirit entering the world of the supernatural, the kingdom of God. Many of you have. And you've experienced the miraculous work of God in His hand upon your life. He's healed your marriages. He's turned you around. He's just done an incredible work. And you're walking in the straight and narrow. And you continue to trust in God. But we must continue in the Spirit and not lean to the abilities of our flesh. The receiving of the Holy Spirit by every believer is distinct in economy from the Old Testament Jewish economy. The Old Testament, as we said, the Spirit was only imparted to certain people for a set time. They had experienced the regenerating and illuminating work of the Holy Spirit as well as the miraculous intervention in their lives. I look at my life and I see how God's been so good to me to give me wisdom to raise my children, to give me wisdom to be a husband, to give me wisdom to serve Him, to be, give me wisdom to see the world the way it is. And He's done this for 25 years. Now, that, that perspective and that wisdom was not there before Christ. And I can only imagine what a mess I would have made of my life if I would have continued in the flesh. But by the grace of God, His Spirit has done what you see. And His Spirit has done what I see in your life by His grace. Remember that Paul said earlier that the gospel worked effectively in him towards the Gentiles apart from the law in chapter 2, verse 8. And the Spirit worked through Peter for the Jews. Same Spirit, same gospel. But it was the Spirit, not the law. Faith, not works. God, not flesh. Pastor Xavier Reese and the freedom found in the true gospel.
a freedom that's available to all who surrender. We hope you can join us for the next broadcast when Pastor Xavier concludes this study. Now, if your schedule won't permit, you can always pick up a copy of this message on CD. And the title to ask for is, The Galatians Played the Fools. It's available for only $4, and make sure you share this message with a friend or loved one when you're through listening. Once again, the title to ask for is, The Galatians Played the Fools, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. What's the difference between talk and walk? We'll find out on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com